the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson. It is Thursday, July 28th, 2022. And I want to start off the show a little bit with uh, some talk about the economy and some talk about the use of language and the abuse of language. If I might, I'll save my more formal monologue for the third hour. We're going to be focusing much of the uh, second part of this show uh, on um, on a more domestic on more domestic social issues having to do with crime having to do with what is called what is mislabeled the homeless crisis that's an issue in abusive language as well but you can't you can't um, forgive and you can't forget what transpired today and how the White House handled it when I saw Joe Biden trying to dress up and sanitize the economic report showing a second quarter of decline and say this is not a recession thinking about how Ronald Reagan played with, it's the wrong word, how Ronald Reagan used definitions on the economy to his and to his political advantage and to the education of Americans. When he kicked off his campaign, 1979, in front of the Statue of Liberty, many of you may remember this. Many of you may have forgotten it. It was vintage Ronald Reagan. If it's a definition... If it's a definition he wants, I'll give him one. A recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. And recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his. Have you heard that before, Bill? Maybe, maybe once or twice. We've done it here before. Let me, before I get too far into the report, and uh, what happened today, give you the basic facts as John Hinderocker renders, renders them. The Biden administration is continuing its effort to spin bad economic news. Joe Biden's statement on today's negative GDP report avoided any reference to recession or even to the fact that the GDP number was negative. The White House statement was this, quote, coming off of last year's historic economic growth and regaining all the private sector jobs lost during the pandemic crisis, it's no surprise that the economy is slowing down as the Federal Reserve acts to bring down inflation. But even as we face historic global challenges, we are on the right path and we will come through this transition stronger and more secure. That's the White House's official statement under Joe Biden's signature, to which John asks, what transition? The transition from economic growth to economic decline? The statement goes on to say, quote, my economic plan is focused on bringing inflation down without giving up all the economic gains we have made. Congress has an historic chance to do a, to do that by passing the Chips and Science Act and Inflation Reduction Act without delay. Close quote. As John puts it, Biden's administration has done absolutely nothing to bring down the cost of living and the legislation he mentions, including the absurdly named Inflation Reduction Act, will only increase the inflation that has devastated American families. 
the administration's gyrations over the definition of recession only make it look foolish. You can get at the Wall Street Journal as you can at the Powerline blog a graph of the economy and the growth in this economy that Joe Biden inherited, also known as real GDP. When he came into office, tremendous growth of 33 percent, what he calls record high growth from last year is 6.9 percent, and it has steadily declined first to negative 1.6 percent to now negative nine-tenths of a percent. It has gone down, down, down from where it was, which was up, up, up on Joe Biden's watch, which is too passive. The better way to put it is not that it happened on Joe Biden's watch, but as a result of his policies. To be fair, John Hinderocker says the concept of full employment recession is novel, if not unprecedented. The labor shortage continues and wages have been rising. The problem is that the increasing cost of living has much more than wiped out the wage gains for most people. We'll see how the economic slowdown continues over the coming months. My guess is the inflation will continue to be most voters' number one concern. It shouldn't be harder and more expensive by the month, by the quarter, by the year to live in America. It is the responsibility of the people we elect to make life easier on us, not harder on us. Somewhat ironically, if the Democrats' current legislative efforts succeed, they will only cement that party's responsibility for the inflation that has devastated so many lives. Liberals seem to think they can accomplish almost anything by redefining words. I think this November, the definition of a recession is going to be the last thing on the minds of voters who can't afford to heat their homes, fill up their cars, or pay for their groceries. You know, I, I, have, um, I have put together kind of a bit of a bit of a mantra of the way we have been in real time redefining concepts most of us thought we understood. Speech is violence. Violence is mostly peaceful, peacefully and patriotically marching is insurrection. Gender changing is gender affirming. Keeping hands off a body is having clinicians operate in your body. Wanting those hands off the body is putting hands on it. Colorblindness is racism. Discrimination is anti-racism. Voter suppression means more voters voting. And build back better means higher gas prices for your car and food shortages for your babies and tampon shortages for women or menstruating men. And we can now add to the redefinition of things, the redefinition of a recession. It created a lot of raised eyebrows when beginning of the week. We started noticing the administration first a little bit through trial balloon and then doubling down, trying to redefine what everyone knew. Everyone knew was the definition of a recession. Two or more quarters of negative growth. That's the IBER definition, and it's the definition in every macroeconomic textbook you can find. I think still the, the, uh, the most dominant one is Paul Samuelson's. This, even the people who are trying to pitch to you through the statements today from the White House, the economic advisors, the Treasury Secretary, even they have writings in the past where they accepted that definition. The only time that definition needs to change is now because it's on their watch 
and because they are trying to dress it up, sanitize it, and make it look not so bad. I will tell you as a political matter, as a political matter, I think it is a huge mistake for this White House to continue to use the word transition. They used it in the statement I just read from the White House when they said coming off of last year's historic economic growth and regaining all the private sector jobs lost during the pandemic crisis, it's no surprise that the economy is slowing down as the Federal Reserve acts to bring down inflation. Even as we face historic global challenges, though, we are on the right path and we will come through this transition stronger and more secure. They keep using that word transition. They think it's going to take hold. You hear it from Karen Jean-Pierre. You hear it from Kamala Harris. You hear it from Nancy Pelosi. And you hear it from Joe Biden. What they use when they use that word, what they mean is they are trying to change the economy. They are trying to change the economy based on fossil fuels. They are trying to change the economy based on what we usually think of as oil and gas production and exploration. They are trying to get us all, as our caller Bill yesterday put it so well in our first hour, into EVs. EVs, I still have to tell you what they mean. Pretty soon, if the administration has its way, I won't. Electric vehicles. They are trying to get us to change this economy. What Barack Obama spoke about in fundamentally transforming this country, Joe Biden is picking up the slack and making sure it happens, or thinks he's making sure it happens. I think it is some level of arrogance for him to come out and give a speech on this today, or at least a press gaggle on it, hard to call it a speech, it was so short, talking about the GDP, refusing Uh, the phrase uh, recession, in fact, ending his gaggle by saying that doesn't sound like a recession to me by building up other parts of the economy and then walk away as reporters are shouting questions at him. It's a man just out of COVID. This man just in recovery from COVID. This is a man who now has to talk to us about economic news that is not good with inflation higher and the cost of money higher because of what the Federal Reserve has to do to try and tame the inflation Joe Biden has wrought on this economy, and he refuses to take any questions. I don't know if this is a garrisoned administration, but anyone who thinks that this is okay, that this is all right, that this is acceptable, Okay, we have no choice, I suppose, until November about it being acceptable. But in a theoretical sense and in a sense of all political history in this country, this is unacceptable. It is unacceptable because this most, as he promised, transparent of presidents turns out to be the least. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing a little bit here. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. My producer, Bill, uh, had me. He, he juggles a lot here. So, uh, I first of all, I hope he kn- you know, Bill, how much I appreciate you and, and know how much you juggle. But we were just finishing the recording of an ad, and we're, um, we were figuring out what kind of music to put in there. And I said to him, you know what I want, don't you, for the music bed under it? And he goes, Metallica? <laughs> Sure. Yes, exactly. I was thinking more, I don't know, something like Smokey Robinson or Huey Lewis. But I'll leave it to you, Bill. You've been at this longer than I have. I think. I think you've been at this long. You know what you're doing. Anyway, thank you. And thanks for the laugh. 
do we have any Metallica in our do you want to put Metallica in? I will give you as a reward for all your great work. If you want to put a Metallica song in our bumper, you feel free. And uh, just let it happen when it happens. Yeah, whatever you want. You you get a Metallica. You earned it. You earned not a medal, but a Metallica. Okay, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to pocket that? Okay, pocket that Metallica. Um, my friend Hugh Hallman, who uh, comes in every Tuesday, talks, uh, I mean, he's obviously a, a hugely accomplished attorney and educator. His training originally was in economics, and he's... Uh, licking his uh, licking his chops to uh, come in and talk about what Joe Biden and this administration have been doing with our economy, and uh, especially uh, not only the uh, terminology but the underlying policies. So uh, look forward to that next uh, next week as well. Um, in any event, you know when you think about the conditions of our economy, um, you have to think about the causes. Of this, you have to think about what's in back or in front of the problem that we have. Montesquieu has the wonderful formulation that there are usually general causes that lead to a specific and dramatic cause. He puts it that if a country should fall because of one lost battle, one battle leads a country to fall, one has to ask what the conditions of that country were such that it was susceptible to being felled by the loss of one battle. You know, thinking about, and this is something Hugh Hallman and I have been at for a while too, at least since uh, the first quarter of 2020, you think about where our economy is right now and all the oddities in it, especially with regard to unemployment, those not looking for work anymore and thus not even counted in the unemployment numbers. There was a cause for this. There was a general cause. And people are going around saying, well, if we knew then about COVID, what we know now, we would have done things a little bit differently. Shame on them. Shame on them. The worst form of shame is having none, and the Fauci's have no shame. None. Because there were those of us telling them the things they now accept and say if we knew then what we know now. A lot of us knew then what we know now, too. A lot of us knew it then. We tried to say it then. We tried to scream at them. I don't mean to scream now. I'm sorry if it's coming off. It just angers me. It angers me. Because when we said it, they said we were being unscientific and science deniers. They said we were being COVID denied. Do you know anyone who denies the existence of COVID? That was, that, was a, that was a shibboleth, too, to denounce we who probably were following more of the science than they were. I will put it to you as I have put it to you before. You look at everything that was said during the year 2020 about COVID, and I'll put up Hugh Hallman's and my and the columns I did with Bill Bennett or the columns I did with Hugh and Lewis, put anything we said up against anything Fauci said, and you will see that we were right and they weren't. We were more right than they were. They were more wrong than we were. And they have the gall to come out and say now, as Fauci just did, if I knew in 2020 what I know now, we would do things a lot differently. I don't know what he knew. I don't. I know he was sold to us as a great wise man of vir- virology and epidemiology. 
But I do know this, I do, I, and, I, and I can't figure him out. I can't figure out if he's an egotist. I can't figure out if he's a bureaucrat. I can't figure out if he's just uh, worn out his shelf life uh, and expertise. I, I don't know. I can't. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. But I do know this. I do know that there were public policymakers throughout this country and in Washington, D.C. during COVID who were open to hearing the arguments we were making. The Heather McDonald's, the Dennis's, the Bill's, the Me's, the Hughes, a few others, the Atlas's, the Bada Sharia's. There were people that were open to it. So what did the Fauci regime do? What did the Fauci regime do? They shut it down. They censored it. So when they go around preening that if they knew then what they know now, the heck with them. You know, you hear I want to use a different phrase. I can't use it on the radio. The heck with them, though, because they shut us down and shut us up as giving misinformation when it was the information. And they were the ones giving misinformation with all the levers of control and power over the censorship of anyone. They were the ones. Issues and Insights says it will take years, if not decades, for researchers to document the totality of the cruel harms of the pandemic lockdowns. Whatever the damage could have been much worse with the hindsight of a blind man and the depravity of a despot. Anthony Fauci Fauci said this week the restrictions should have been more draconian than they were. He's a national headache that just won't go away. And he says, if I knew in 2020 what I knew now, we would have done things a lot differently. The insidious nature of spread in the community would have been much more of an alarm and there would have been much more stringent restrictions. That's his message. You read him saying, if I knew in 2020 what I know now, things would be different. You think he might have opened up. You think he might be saying we could take our masks off. We could open our schools. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Deborah Burks is saying that. He's not. They need to go outside and get their message together. Maybe they were never on the same page. Deborah Burks is saying, yeah. But Anthony Fauci is saying we should have been a lot harsher. There's a lot of blame to go around for this. But the fact that this man still has a job is an insult. It's an insult and an assault. Ongoing. Ongoing. You know what else is? You know, I didn't finish up my, what I wanted to say about Joe Biden's presser today. It's not even a press conference. It's not a conference if only one side is speaking. He took no questions. He took no questions. A man right out of COVID, and not just a man, the president of the United States. He took no questions on the economy, the biggest news, or his health. So you go to the White House, craving information, the White House website, whitehouse.gov, and right up there is the splash is building back better. That's, that's the message they want you to attach to Joe Biden. Building back better. You know what the first item is on their list? They have four things. You know what the first is? The hyperlink for you to click? Know your reproductive health care rights. Who thought that was part of building back better? These guys just collapse everything into a gallum free of nonsense and expect it to be bought a serious public policy. It's not. It's supercilious public policy.
Yeah, everything from the mid-70s is coming back. That's the theme from Charlie's Angels. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a really remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y refi what they're offering is a fixed no load interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent return for investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio why refi is a due diligence approved firm where investors do really well by doing good for others and you can as well if this interests you check them out at investyrefi.com that's the word invest the letter y r e f y.com investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855 855- Three one six three zero eight seven eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Guy Benson. It's been a while since we had him out here. I think he's such a he's such a good good person. He's he's such a such a he has such a nice manner about him and he, a good way of putting such a great way of putting things. He's over at town hall. He had a column on uh, the Democrats' desperate spin backfiring, as we were talking about. I guess in the first segment, the Biden administration, he writes, has been battered by a series of crises and missteps, nearly all of nearly all of which they've created or exacerbated with their policies over and over again. Their response has been to play ridiculous rhetorical games. They insist the border crisis is not a crisis at all, but rather a challenge in which the border is closed and secure. It's nonsense. It's what they say. And those descriptors, descriptors, closed, secure. Simply not accurate, and if you can't call a lengthy string of record-shattering months on border encounters a crisis, that term has no meaning anymore. Biden himself even asserted last year that his team had gotten the issue under control only to watch the numbers spiral even further. They call this a closed border challenge. You imagine that? Or If Orwell were alive today, I mean, my gosh, a closed border challenge. Our inflation... Well, you know about that. It was transitory. It was temporary. And then it wasn't. It was other people's fault. On spiked gas prices, it was all beyond the administration's control and the doing of Vladimir Putin and greedy oil companies. Until, of course, the dizzying prices started to modestly drop. <coughs> excuse, me, excuse me. For which they're trying to now take credit. Putting out just embarrassing graphics embarrassing graphics price goes up it lowers a little and they say the prices are coming down when they're still higher than what it was before they got their hands onto it putin's price hike biden's price drop you're welcome america and enjoy your per person savings versus peak prices which may return on recession the spin machine is in preemptive hyper drive desperately redefining a basic economic rule of thumb and term that's been used across the spectrum for decades, even by the economists in the White House who are now telling us what we know was not true. The media is getting in on the fun from the predictable partisan hacks to the down the middle journalists. It's suddenly all very technical. You see, the White House handed down the official talking points and the media is scrambling to adjust to their tribe's latest messaging. It's predictably demeaning. The AP puts out, by one common definition, the economy shrinking for consecutive quarters. The U.S. economy is on the cusp of a recession. Yet that definition isn't the one that counts. Isn't that funny? That's not the one that counts. But that's what the White House is saying. And now the media will, of course, follow suit. 
Every time the New York Times or the CNN folks do a mea culpa and promise us they're going to try and do better and hold the Democrats more accountable or be more responsive to the American people, and you see talkers even on Fox News saying, well, things are changing, even the New York Times is admitting, or you'll see phrases like, well, when you've lost the Washington Post, dot, 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 it never happens. It's a day. It happens for a day. They're never serious about it. I'm still old enough to remember after the tw- after the 2016 election when the New York Times editorial board promised that they were going to be more responsive to real Americans' concerns so that they wouldn't miss these electoral viewpoints again. I'm still I'm still old enough to remember that. What changes the New York Times made? It doubled down on the leftism and the censorship is the change they made because they think they can change our minds and our thoughts. That's what they truly think. They truly think that. Anyway, I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Every day more harmful decisions by this administration are hurting the economy, robbing your savings and investments. Inflation, 41-year high, making your money worth even less. And now there's a real Real recession. Can you afford to lose even more? The good news is when investments fall, gold traditionally holds its value, which is why I recommend calling the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, to talk about safeguarding your investments and your wealth with physical gold and other precious metals. I own gold and silver from Midas Gold. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you do. More of you can as well. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or you can call them at 480-360-3000. 480-360-1000. Larry in Tempe. My goodness, there shines a good deed in a weary world. It's nice to see you up there on the boards, Larry. How are you? I'm doing well, Seth. How are you? I'm doing fine. I was hoping to hear from you this week on a on. I'm not sure what what uh, you wanted to call in on, but uh, stay around a minute or two after whatever your initial comments are. I have a few questions for you. We'll do it on sure. air. But welcome sure. back. It's good to be back. I my I was calling about a memory sparked by your commenting on the Democrats' use of words mm-hmm. and reconfiguring words, redefining words. And I thought back to a, an English teacher back low these many years ago in high school who advised against using the word very, V-E-R-Y, mm-hmm. very often mm-hmm. in describing things, something, and I don't remember the example she would have used, but such as green, the color green. Mm-hmm. If you describe green by saying very green, what good does that do? Because green is green all by itself. Yeah, yeah. It's like saying extremely say it's, full. You could do the same thing with extremely full, right? Or complete stop exactly, in a way. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's right. And so I've tried to remember that in the times I've written things or spoken, that using very isn't always wrong, but there's times when all it comes across as is fluff or unnecessary exaggeration it's kind of like people using the word literal mm-hmm. that i literally <laughs> blew out my mind today with it. well no you right. didn't literally no, you didn't you figuratively did yeah exactly right exactly. right yeah <laughs> so the the 
all of what you've been referring to and the different examples of men menstruating and the different things like that that the left is referring to and using these words in ways that are totally different than what they have ever been used before makes me think back to that English teacher and about how poorly words can be used. And obviously, in this case, they're doing it to alter thought, alter perception of things. But it just implies, not really implies, it absolutely shows the importance of remembering what truth, what words truly mean. Yeah. A man is a man. A woman is a woman. We don't have to debate on what that is. The truth is the truth until you start trying to change it to fit a purpose or a long-term goal. That's right. And, 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 And a lot of people like to go, well put, Larry, a lot of people like to go back to George Orwell and certainly 1984, but a few years before he wrote 1984, he wrote an essay called On Politics in the English Language, the thesis of which he says is the great enemy of clear language is insincerity, and you can do it the opposite way, too. Insincerity is the enemy of clear language. And that's where we are today. That's where we're at today. Everything that we thought meant something turns out to mean something different. So when you casually, Larry, you do it, I do it, we all do it. When you casually use the phrase, uh, I think you said men menstruating, you you used that phrase. We now just kind of casually say it. This was a phrase that no one would have said five years ago. And exactly. it would be shocking if someone said six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. And now it's just kind of menstruating men. Now, yeah, even people yeah. who don't agree with the concept, I don't know where you are on it, doesn't matter for the purposes of this conversation. I don't. But, but the point is, right. even we who don't agree with that notion that that can be possible, we, we say it casually. Like it's just a thing we accept. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Right. And this lack of it shock, is. this lack of a pang in the conscience when we utter these phrases that have now become commonplace is how you not only lose a language, it's how you lose a culture, which is more important because then you lose a civilization. Right. Racism is another one of those It certainly so is. It, it certainly is. It's simple and direct to say something is racist. We all know what that is. Right. And we all, we all should. Most of us who have any level of morals dislike it. That's We're right. opposed to it. That's right. But now racism has been carried to the extent of saying mathematics. Yep. Math is racism. Yep. Because a person of color doesn't hasn't been taught, hasn't been pushed to learn math. Therefore math must be racist. Non discrimination is now racism. Uh, colorblindness <laughs> right. is now racism. It's so Orwellian, it's odd. And people walk around mm-hmm. like automatons just speaking this nonsense and accepting this 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 rotten thinking and junk thought that it seems like it's as I said, the word commonplace. It's just it's just carried yeah. forward like, oh, it's raining today. No big whoop. Uh-huh. The reason I wanted, I was hoping you'd call in um, this week Mm -hmm. was when Kamala Harris, on this very point, your vice president (laughs) and mine, maybe you know what I'm going to ask you. I'm not sure. I think I do. She was at a roundtable of, uh, what's the term of art? A roundtable of disability advocacy? Is that what it was? Disability advocacy? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. 
and and they all went around saying what their pronouns were and what their sex was. And she says, I am a woman. My pronouns are, are, are she and her, and I'm wearing blue. And I mm-hmm. and 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 I just thought for a second. Well, how how do you do this? How do you how do you go from not being able to define what a woman is to celebrating the notion that you have the first woman vice president to getting to a position where in a roundtable you have to announce that you're a woman and that woman a female's pronouns are she and her because all of this is evidently subjective and not objective but then she says and i'm wearing blue which cannot possibly be subject to subjectivism blue is an objective yeah. color a primary color exactly and right. and why the hell does it matter now i wanted to ask you for some obvious reasons if you wanted to tell the audience uh, why why i thought you would be interesting to hear out on this you you can but i'm going to ask you to do me a favor larry i have to take sure. a quick commercial break don't i bill i have to take a quick commercial break and if you can stay and respond to that on the other side of this break you are the expert on all that's involved in this i'm so glad you called i'm seth leaps and he's larry and tempe sometimes you hear him on the dennis prager show we'll be right back <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show, the theme song from Hello Larry, but Larry is in Tempe. Larry, your your remarks on the need for the vice president to instruct the world that she's a woman, her pronouns are she and her, and that she's wearing the color blue. Why do we need to know that and how do you get away with asking us to know what blue is? If the words woman and her and she are subjective, do you have any way to unravel this for us? Only way, only thing that I could really address differently than the woman, the preferred pronouns, those things, because that applies. You know, any of us basically know why they're doing that. Yeah. I wonder because I did hear her make those comments, read a little article about it. And I was wondering, because I knew it was a something to do with people with disabilities, uh-huh. and what I wondered, and I, I don't know the answer to this, it just a, a casual assumption, is that the issue with what they were wearing in the color would be to for the benefit of blind slash visually impaired people who were there. Okay. And that's the only thing I can think of, because otherwise you're discussing disabilities, you're introducing yourself as a woman and your preferred pronouns. The color of your clothing and what you're wearing means nothing unless you're thinking you need to describe that to someone who doesn't see it. You and I have probably talked how many times, Larry? Fifteen? Um, could be, yeah. More, maybe? So, what would you guess? Me, I don't, we've, yeah, I don't we've know. Had some, we've had some pretty there. intelligent conversations, mostly yeah. because of yeah. you. <laughs> I have never well, known no, what color you wore or what color, and you've never known what color I was wearing. In fact, it, in the, you can't know what color. Exactly. Even if, even if, if, even if right. you had a picture of me live, you wouldn't know what color I'm wearing. Exactly, because I am, by the way, colorblind. That's that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, 
So I have been in a couple of different settings. Which, in, by the way, is also uh, racism. On, Colorblindness now is also racism. Right, right. I've been on little boards where people were talking about asking questions about disabilities, and I was giving my feedback. And one thing I never worried about was what everybody else was wearing. <laughs> The color yes. or what they were wearing. I did not care. It didn't matter. Remember remember, remember so once it, upon it, a time when the left was the was the movement against materialism? I do. I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. Larry, yeah. I appreciate oh, yeah. you so much. Uh, you know what? I know we you, you probably have more to say, and I'm I'm up against a top-of-the-hour break and a guest. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll release you from our uh, two days in a row rule if you want to call back tomorrow. I love listening to you, and I love hearing from you. I am Seth Liebson. We've got a great guest in studio coming up. We're going to get into the homeless situation in a very serious and real way. You're not going to want to miss this. Maybe if not this, if, it, well, let me put it this way. The guy we're about to have is not just a state expert. He's a national one. Don't go away. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.